The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Johnny Alpha, Alpha 5, The Wilds of Montana, and Polka Dot Man on script and drums. Something wicked awesome this way comes, slouching toward Bethlehem, rough beasts in the wilderness, and ZZ Top on the stereo. So make sure you know where your towel is and do not go on a date with Jennifer Check, okay? I'm warning you now, you'll thank me later because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 1062 of the Major Spoilers podcast. This week on the show, oh man, we got that H-word guy on the show. And he's going to get punched a lot, which I'm fine with. Rodrigo um, starts with an R. I know. Uh, that's why I said the H-word guy. So yeah, we are here this week. Uh, one of our listeners requested that we review some Strontium Dog. Specifically, the Schlickel Gruber, uh, whatever it is, the Schlickel Gruber grab. Grab. Yeah. Yeah. The Schickel Grabber. So, we're going to be looking at that a little bit later in the show. And if you don't know what a Schlickel Gruber is, um, we uh, don't do an internet search on that. Okay. Um, unless you're doing a. What you get when you take two Grubers. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, unless you want your, unless you want uh, some, some, uh, certain group calling you up and, and sending you pamphlets, stay away from the search term Schlickel Gruber, which also, you know, when we get to it, I do want to bring up why they went with that specific name. Um, especially during that time period, I think is probably also a little bit telling in, mm. in, in that story, but we're going to get that to that in a little bit. And in, in, in the meantime, we have some comic books to review. Also want to give some shout outs to all of our great fans over on the major spoilers discord server. Uh, there are some fantastic people having all sorts of conversations. Uh, we've got a lot of new people that I've seen pop up uh, this week in the, uh, in, in the discord server. Uh, who do I want to give a shout out to this week? Who should I, I think I will go into the critical hit channel and I will mm-hmm. give a shout out to a guy named Steve. Hey, Steve. He said, it's been a, it has been a bit of a time since I last listened uh, to the critical hit podcast. I guess my dumb brain was under the assumption that more Rodrigo vertices were coming to happen. I just went back and re-listened to the end. And now I'm sad. So we're sorry, Steve, <laughs> but you know, that was what five years ago now, something like that. Yeah. Seems like five years ago. So uh shout That's out to it. Steve. He jumped into the discord to talk about, is there going to be any more void saga stuff? And then I had to break him, break his heart and say, no, that story ended a long time ago. But welcome anyway. We're glad you are here. Now let us get to some reviews. I am very interested in so many things coming out this week. Uh, and Matthew, uh, ever the Matthew, uh, talking about the Power Rangers, his his favorite thing. Uh, tell us about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers The Return, written by one Amy Jo Johnson. So you know that's Whoa. high quality right there. That is correct. Uh, Power Rangers, by the way, my fourth favorite thing. If you can guess the first three, I'll... Uh, uh, <laughs> Butter, Butter Ripple Fudge uh, would be one of them. Uh, and uh, your Starbucks. And hanging out with Rodrigo and I every Tuesday. Yeah. I think that's well, it. Two of those things are true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amy Joe Johnson. 
writing with Matt Hodson, uh, art by Nico Leon, Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, specifically, colon, The Return, from Broom Studios, should be noted, is not the ongoing Boom Studios Power Darkest Rangers hour. continuity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Darkest Hour stuff is all tied into the Boom Studios books that have been going on since 2016. This is a world where 22 years in the past, in the year 2001, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers defeated Rita, defeated Zed, and then broke up, dispersed. There were no more Rangers. No one has, you know, seen them since with one notable exception that we'll get to eventually. And everything is basically done. They're all grown up. They're adult. But as the story starts, we find someone in the abandoned power chamber trying to access the Morphin Grid. And that someone ends up wearing a red costume and carrying a power sword and trying to desperately find something before he is attacked by an unknown assailant who steals the power coin. And you see an elderly scarred Jason Scott screaming, who are you? What do you want? And then cut to Angel Grove at the memorial for the late Trini Kwan. And this is the point where I teared up a little bit because this is the second time in like a year that we've seen something to memorialize Trini Kwan, whose actress, Tui Trang, mm-hmm. died like two days before 9-11. So nobody knew about it. And then, you you know, a year or two or three years later, we're all like, oh my God, Tui Trang died? And then, you know, you find out why. But uh, we find a, a 40-ish, late 40-ish Billy who is now, you know, running a telecom company and Zach, who's a multimedia influencer, uh, dedicating a uh, new park to Trini, the longest reigning mayor in Angel Grove history, the former United Nations Commissioner on Human Rights. Basically, she grew up and became super awesome. And in the back of the crowd is a woman in a trench coat trying to hide herself so that no one knows. And they're like, hey, who are you? And she's like, me? My name's Emma. And Zach is like, no, your name's Kimberly. So the big, there is one big reveal that I am going to spoiler because there are about five things in here. But there's one big reveal that I don't feel is plot-related spoilers. And that's that when Zach finds Kim, she is putting flowers on the grave of Tommy Oliver. No. Yeah, Tommy Oliver died apparently in 2001, which implies to me that whatever that last battle was may have killed him. We don't know what that is. But, you know, Jason David Frank, who played Tommy, has also passed away. So I kind of feel like this first issue may be Amy Jo Johnson giving a little bit of a goodbye to, you know, a couple of old friends, she's, which is She's really, talked about really this. She's talked about this series um, at length on her socials so people can mm-hmm. go on there and see. Yeah. You can go and see what her thoughts are and what, why she's doing this. And she even has comments to people about why, Hey, this is why I wasn't in that power Rangers reunion movie, all those kind of things. So um, she doesn't hold back, but she is willing to share information. And that, you know, that's good. I mean, she's not quite our age. I think she's in her late forties. She's got no reason to, you know, 
try and be nice to a fandom that wants to poke at her. But um, the interesting no, she's part exactly of- she's exactly our age. She's fifty three. Is she? she? Yeah, she's wow. born the same year I was. So she was playing well below her age. I didn't realize oh, they she always was that they always kid. do. Don't do that. No, no, they have. Those I mean, days, there's there's, there's, a lot there's legal reasons why you got to do that. I know how Dawson casting works. It's just that I didn't realize she was that much older. That would have made her yeah. like 24, 25, mm-hmm. playing 17. And I thought mm-hmm. she was like 22. Anyway, Zach has gone public. Everybody knows that Zach used to be the Black Ranger. And Billy is trying to use his power coin to power new innovations. And apparently Jason was a firefighter in Angel Grove until he felt like he could do more good by morphing up again. But no one knows what happened to him. And so he has gone missing. And most importantly, Billy has discovered that other than him and Zach and Jason, someone is accessing the power of the Morphin Grid. He doesn't know who this is, but at the end of the issue, somebody shows up on Emma's front door and says, hey. And then you'll have to read the book because it is an interesting final reveal. Now, I will is, say is, this. Is the this final is reveal, thing. is the final reveal like the Zords in some kind of Simon Stallhog, uh, you know, design no. where they're just kind of rusting away in the background? Apparently only one Zord still exists and that's Kim's and she refuses to use it. All right. Yeah. This is by my count, the fourth power Rangers continuity that I have been, uh, dealing with in the power Rangers anniversary year, uh, 30 years ago, give or take 30 years ago in, in 1993. So, but this is separate from the continuity of the once and forever reunion movie that Steven mentioned on Netflix, where Trini is also dead, but Trini in that movie died in action during the film. And then, of course, separate from the Boom Studios continuity and separate from the continuity of the latest actual uh, ongoing Power Rangers show, uh, the Power Rangers Super Duper Flying Space Ninja. I don't remember what they're called, to be honest. Um, they were pretty good. I watched the whole scene. I actually binged the whole season over the source of a weekend. So I've got a lot of Power Rangers in my brain. And right now, I feel like I've got the right partitions in between it to appreciate each one separately. And that said, this feels like a more personal story, whether or not that's you know me projecting because I know who the writer is or whether it's you know entirely intentional is unclear. But the one thing that is very important in this issue is if you read the Boom series, Jason is definitely Jason and Billy is definitely Billy, but they are not literally the actors. They're not, you know, Austin. They're not David. They're not Amy Jo. These Power Rangers are. And not only that, we see, uh, you know, as we go through the big thing in Angel Grove, we see a grown-up Vulcan skull. We see Ernie from the Juice Stop. We see actual characters drawn realistically as 25 years older versions of the characters that we know. 
So that does also make a difference in kind of the way I appreciate this. I was right at an age where I was probably too old to enjoy Power Rangers in 93, 94, which, you know, as, as we've noted, that's the point when I really like things. When people say, hey, you probably shouldn't be enjoying this, I'm like, yeah. I get that, vo- that Zach De La Rocha voice in my head, and I'm just like, yeah. Anyway, so. As you go through this comic, I will tell you three important things. One, it is good. Two, it is going to be confusing if you're trying to read it in addition to some of the other Power Rangers media. So you have to treat it as a separate thing. And three, and I think most important, it feels like a very personal project for Amy Jo Johnson and the creative team. And I think that that, Kind of puts it over the top. Four and a half slices of meatloaf for Power Rangers The Return, part one of four. So this is a four-issue limited. Um, I would say look out for this. And if you if you haven't been following the Boom Studios Power Rangers, it's worth checking into. In fact, it might actually be easier to check into uh, if you haven't been following the other continuity. What do you guys think of, um, and I don't want to say this is stunt casting, although it, it, they did approach Amy Jo Johnson and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? Not the other way around. What do you think of the, the, the kind of the stunt casting um, when you have the celebrity who was uh, known for the part writing the comic? Mm-hmm. The other example would be Amon Vellani. Ms. Marvel is writing the uh, Ms. Marvel comics now at uh, Marvel. I feel like it's the same thing I feel about um, CM Punk uh, did a run on Drax, uh, the Destroyer for Marvel, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed. Taron Killam has done several uh, comedic stories. Taron Killam from Saturday Night Live actually did a really funny Spider-Man story that I still remember. So it kind of depends on whether it seems like they can write, you know? Um, I don't necessarily, I'm not like a huge John Leguizamo fan, but John Leguizamo did an image series a few years ago Mm -hmm. that was basically, here's John Leguizamo, the superhero, and it was really good. I enjoyed it. I liked the way it, you know, it came together. And so I don't know. It's it's really a question of, is it well written? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Rodrigo, do you I have mean, thoughts? I have that with professionals in the industry too. So, yeah, it's it's pretty close to to Matthews. It's it's interesting because you never know what's going to come out of it, right? It's like right. it might be a stunt, and either uh, you could have something where the person gets hung up on it, and they're like, "Oh, I want to write comics now," or they don't do very good work, but we can't necessarily tell because usually there's a, another writer attached and that writer probably cleans up mm-hmm, any mm-hmm. issues. So first off, it's hard to tell how much they're actually writing, right? But you can end up with someone like Kevin Smith who wrote some comics and then probably as a stunt and then got into it and has continued to write comics for mm-hmm. years, right? So um, and people like-, like those a lot. Something similar to that is what got, you know, Judd Winnick started in comics. Because, you know, Judd Winnick was known for his real-world work and his cartoon work. uh, And, you know, Pedro and me. And then, you know, they gave him Green Lantern. And all of a sudden, Judd Winnick is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go nuts and do a cool Green Lantern story. And people are like, oh, real-world guy can write. 
Yeah, and yeah, now the, he's writing the uh, third most popular comic book in the world. Yeah, nice. I, it, Hilo is a great book too. You yeah, should check it, it is. Out. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hilo is the oh, okay. third third best selling um, comic uh, right now, right behind Captain Underpants and uh, what is it, Dog? Oh, Cop. right. Get them confused. So. Dog. Right. Well, dog we we brought up uh, James Kachalka the other day, uh-huh. and. Um, He's gay, he, like he's definitely working on that sort of like middle grade, like kid stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's the way it's going great for him because his style also, you know, jives with it. But yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the place to get into. I, I'm always going to mispronounce his name, David Desmalchian. Is that how you say his name? Desmalchian. Desmalchian. I always mispronounce it. I apologize. It's it's kind of following along with Amy Jo Johnson doing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Because David uh, returns this week with Count Crowley's uh, Mediocre Midnight Monster Hunter number two with art by Luca Kettner. And I was like, oh, neat. Another Count Crowley uh, comic is out. And I like this because David also grew up in the Kansas City area. There's no doubt that he uh, watched uh, the Channel 41, uh, you know, type of uh, horror movie hosts and those kinds of things. And of course, Count Crowley is just playing on that. But what if this stuff was real? Almost like Fright Night uh, to an extent. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I opened up the first page and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, why does this seem familiar? Wait a minute. What is what's going on here? And then I realized I last reviewed a Count Crowley comic back in November. And I thought, oh, this is the start of the of a new series. No, this is the second issue of that series that mm-hmm. launched in November. And I don't know if this is quarterly. I don't know if there's some other delay going on. Dark Horse is typically not known for releasing stuff uh, late. I don't know if this is a, you know, if a creator issue or if this is something that is planned to be a semi-quarterly or close to a quarterly release. Um, and I only say that because I think that that also works to the detriment of the comic, because unless you are dying for this comic and you're looking out every month going, is the new issue out, is the new issue out, is the new issue out, very easy for people to forget the that the comic exists. Not because it's not good, but it's just, you know, we are such a society now with a short attention span that unless there's a new Batman comic in your face every week, you can quickly forget about a certain title. And that's what I'm afraid that's happened. That's going to happen here with the larger fans. That being said, this really good comic, this continues to be a really good uh, comic as Jerry is trying to reboot her career, deal with her alcoholism, the death of the friend that we saw last issue and deal with a greater vampire, um, uh, menace that is coming to uh, the city, the, to Kansas City, or specifically Beloit, not your Beloit, Matt, Matthew, but Beloit, um, Missouri, not Kansas, uh, for this. I will say, I was mightily, mightily surprised when this issue opens in Kansas City in 1983, and there's a dude who's paying uh, what looks like, um, uh, what's her name, from Misery, looks just like her, um, Paying her what you think is some kind of sex monies for, you know, like a prostitution type stuff. And yes, it does Mm -hmm. appear to be prostitution, but this dude is definitely into uh, having sex with corpses. I shouldn't say corpses, bodies that are that are very, very cold, uh, but maybe still just a little warm and maybe turn into monsters if you if you let them lose. Yes, uh, Kathy Bates. Um, She plays a role later on when the head vampire comes to town at the end of the issue. The art in this is just fantastic. 
uh, Luca Kettner art is just great. To me, it reminds me of um, a lot of the eerie comics or the uh, Dave, not Dave Stevens, who did uh, Mark Russell is the Cadillacs and dinosaurs guy, right? Or am I, am I confusing the two and it's Mark Stevens? Uh, <laughs> Mark Russell wrote the Flintstones. Mark, well, I, what is it called? Xenozoic Tales? Uh, yeah. Who writes that? Mark Schultz. Mark, Mark Schultz. Okay. I got the, I knew the M and the S. I just got the names wrong. Yep. So Mark Schultz. The art reminds me a lot of what you see in Cadillacs and Dinosaurs too. And I really, really, really dig the art. And I like the gruesomest 1980s Fright Night horror that is coming from this. I like the cheesiness of uh, who Count Crowley is. I like the ongoing um, spooky serial killer guy that's driving around in a van and trying to force these uh, creepy masks onto children, which turns them into monsters or kills them outright, whatever. Everything about this book just hits for me in a weird way that takes me back probably the same place that David did, you know, staying up past our bedtimes, watching uh, All Night Live or whatever that's on Channel 41. Was it All Night Live on Channel 41 mm-hmm. or am I thinking of the Gilbert Gottfried one? Um, no, up all night was Gilbert Gottfried. All night live was all night live. Yeah. Yeah. Watching all night live. This just hits that weird spot. And I think, uh, fright night was probably one of those early horror movies that I watched where I, uh, same way with lost boys, where I was like, I'm not totally skeeved out by this. Like I was when I watched like aliens or the thing or something like that. (laughs) Um, right. So uh, there's something about this that resonates with me. Uh, it may not resonate with all audiences who are not attuned to the Vampirellas, the Gilbert Godfreys, the, you know, the, 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 the uncle Dave's, that kind of stuff. Um, but this, this does for me. And I think if you're a fan of the, that crazy type genre of horror, in fact, uh, Gugliari, Gugliari, whatever his name is, uh, you know, he still does a thing or, uh, you know, his, his, somebody else is doing that. Sven Gulli. Uh, there is another show that I stumbled upon by accident where first I thought they were trying to do an MST three K riff, but they're just totally doing a straight up. We're going to watch a horror movie and we have these skits in between segments. Uh, I'm a, I'm the spooky, you know, owner of the spooky house and here's my creepy Butler and my really creepy niece or whoever that lives here. And they will bring on um, like some celebrities, uh, you know, writers or whoever to talk about, this movie or their love of these things. It's a YouTube channel. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it is straight up 1980s, you know, schlocky horror movie type stuff, which is right in line with what count Crowley is. And I love this issue. I really get a kick out of it. Uh, I would like to have David come on the show sometime uh, so I can mispronounce his name to his face. And, um, and so we can talk and geek out a little bit about this. I, I, but the biggest problem is what I addressed at the very beginning. The release schedule needs to be a lot faster on this. I, I don't know if I can wait three more months to get issue number three. And I'm not sure that fans of the series will wait three more months to get the next issue of this series. So the one thing, and, and I, and again, I don't know what the reasoning is behind the release, but I, I enjoyed this book, but I'm going to ding it down for its tardiness. And so I'm going to give this four slices of meatloaf out of five. If the uh, head vampire were here, he'd probably still see the throbbing veins in the, in the meatloaf with his vampire vision, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to stand on count Crowley's mediocre midnight monster hunter. Number two 
good stuff. It's good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It is good stuff. Can we never, ever say throbbing veins in the meatloaf again? I mean, it depends. David, are you going to, are you going to, you know, what are you and Luca going to do on your next issue? Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I, and again, somebody, somebody is going to write in and say, oh, Stephen's just talking about Count Crowley again. The only reason I'm talking about it again is because it's been months since I last reviewed it. It's not like every month this comes out and every month I'm talking about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think, again, I think people are going to, I'm going to, are going to dig it. And if people want to check this out, both, uh, Count Crowley's mediocre midnight monster hunter, number two and mighty Morphin power Rangers, the return number one can be purchased through our Amazon affiliate links. There are links in the show notes. So you can click on that and you can buy the digital versions and read them to your heart's content, pinch and zoom all you like and uh, read the comics that way. Now you cannot at this moment by, uh, by Rodrigo's pick because Rodrigo is far ahead of the game with everybody else and is looking ahead to what's coming out of mad cave studios in March of 20, yeah, like the end of March. Yeah. So once again, uh, very far in the future. Cause you know, uh, anytime I become unstuck in time, I try to go see what's in the comic shops mm. and uh, and bring back what I can. But uh, Morningstar number one, uh, writer is Tim Daniel, artist is Marco Finnegan. This book is cool and weird, so I'm immediately very into it. Um, the first, maybe third of it is... Um, there's these fire jumpers, I guess, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like firefighters mm-hmm. that jump down yep. into yep. Uh, forest fires and they are effed. They are having problems. <laughs> and then on top of that, supernatural things start happening. And then from there, we cut to the families or to the family of one of them. And they have passed away. Uh, they believe to have been killed in that blaze, although we don't necessarily see it happen. So... We don't get confirmation one way or the other in this issue. Um, but we know that some supernatural supernatural stuff was happening. And now the family is driving to that place, to that uh, national park where that blaze happened um, for some closure. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Marco Finnegan's art is really good. I really like his sort of like poses his like positions that he puts the characters in are very dynamic um there is one thing that is a little confusing which is that i think that the little boy the child of that firefighter um his imagined like has a very active imagination uh maybe um might be mentally disabled in some way. We don't really get a lot of explanation. Um, he might just not be a talker, but uh, he, his imagination, we can see what he's imagining and there's kind of a filter on it. It does look in a particular way. Um, and then we sort of see it cross over into maybe being real, but it's kind of confusing and that's where the issue ends. Mm-hmm. so i'm is like it all looks good right it's like the the point of the artist is to make it look good and if we don't necessarily get what's happening maybe that's the writer's fault and not the artist 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I am, I don't want to say annoyed, but I like got to the end and I'm like, oh, I need to read a whole, a whole, like the whole next issue for them to explain this. And it's like, like it, that it's different for me than like something weird happens that is unexplainable. And then they explain in the next issue. I'm looking at like formal elements here and I'm like, I want to know what this formal element represents. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's why I'm sort of, that's why I'm getting hung up on it. It's cause I'm like, well, well, how are you, are you using the gutters for this or are you using them for that? You have to, you have to tell me. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf cause it's a perfectly fine comic. It's really good. Um, the mystery is interesting and everything else is interested, but my own brain is sort of getting, uh, caught up in it. Um, so we'll see, uh, I'll, you know, a month from now when I review the April issue, we'll see how it comes out. Yeah. I, I, I think I would say that the, uh, publisher and the creators did their job correctly because they're making you think about the work Yeah, yeah, and also making you want to go and read issue number two to see if those things are addressed. So yeah. Good job. Good job there, Mad Cave Studios. Also, I have put a link in the show notes. If you want to check out a couple of pages from this issue, I've got a link to our preview that we had on the website uh, a while ago, back in January. Uh, That'll give you an idea of what kind of art style you're looking at. And this is a lettered preview, so you also get to uh, read a little bit of what's going on. I'm not not sure it's going to uh, share a lot of information, but I think it gives you enough of a tease for you to want to go and pick up this book when it comes out again, March 27th. 2024. So, uh, Hey, uh, before we get into strontium dog, I want to thank everyone who supports the show and all the shows in the major spoilers podcast network. This week, we are sending our thanks out to D 20 Raven, who is our newest $2 member. And yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to people who are $2 members. You know, I would love, and Matthew would love and Rodrigo would love for everyone who's listening to sign up at the silver level member. That's only $5 a month. But if the $2 a month fits your budget better, then go for it. And we still will give you a shout out on the show, just like we're doing with D20 Raven. And if you're not yet a patron, we're waiting to give you a shout out on the show. All you need to do is join us at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And I know what you're thinking. So beyond just beyond just the major spoilers podcast, the Legion Clubhouse podcast, top five, the critical hit, uh, whatever else that we do. I think those are the big four right there. What else do I get with with this money besides keeping that in the site going? Well, Hey, check this out. When you become a silver level patron, five bucks a month, your $5 per month gets you four bonus episodes each month. That's the major spoilers podcast pre-show this week. We're talking dungeons and dragons. We're talking about scary movies and movies that should have been a success, but kind of missed the mark. You're not going to find that anywhere else except on patreoncom slash major spoilers. If you want even more bonus content, then you go up to the gold level. That's $10 a month. And you get up to eight bonus episodes per month. Plus, you get a true inside look at what it's like to run major spoilers because I talk about how the company is doing, what's going on in other places. And I don't think that there are a lot of other companies that pull the curtains back uh, and let you take a look the way we do. I'll be honest. I'm going to be pushing our Patreon pretty hard over the next couple of months because we are down a couple of hundred dollars from where we should be at. But actually, we're down several thousand dollars from where we should be at but we're down several hundred dollars from where I would like us to be at just so we can pay our minimum bills. And unfortunately I know it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy. It's the gas prices. It's the chicken prices. It's the big Mac prices. Uh, We went and, and I went to remember Matthew, you could go to Taco Bell and you could buy like 
a meal for a family of 10 for like six bucks. You can't do that anymore. I went to Taco Bell the other day and for a family of four, it was like $50. And that was just for like some tacos and some burritos and a, and a nacho. So I understand, I understand when people can't do that, but we're in a place that if you enjoy the the stuff that we are doing, if you find value in what we are doing, uh, we are really asking you right now to step up and become patrons at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And you're going to get your name shouted out plus bonus content, lots of bonus content. And, And not only that, but here's the thing. Many people think that, oh, when I sign up, that's when I get, I start getting my bonus content. Oh no, no, no. When you sign up, you don't only get access to the future bonus content, you get access to all of the previous uh, bonus content, mm-hmm. something in the, in the lines of like 300 pre uh, show episodes, uh, more than a dozen uh, 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 commentary tracks that we do for the movies, uh, GM roundtables, all that stuff, all that bonus stuff you unlock instantly when you become a patron at the $5 or higher level, depending on what you're, what your plan is. But if $2 sets you up right, then $2 it'll be. And I'm happy to have you as one of our patrons. So what are you waiting for? Patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, boys, because who is the, who's the culprit behind this? Lagness. Oh, Lagness. 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 He was like, Oh, I was, I, 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 he he knew ahead of time that we were going to be talking about this. Because he's the one that said, hey, if you guys thought about looking at some strontium dog, specifically the Schlickel Gruber grab. And I was like, let's yeah, let's go look at this. And then you find out that it's a strontium dog's tail that involves Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Hitler, who but gets his comeuppance. Involved. It, yeah. It, it, it's almost like Hitler is the. Um, so Hitler is not portrayed as anybody who is good in this issue. So I should point that out. Yeah. Hitler is yeah. really portrayed as a feckless doofus. Like cowardly, yeah. Yeah, cowardly doofus. So, you know, it's not like uh, 2000 AD is promoting, you know, Nazis or anything like that, which is what I was afraid of because it's like, oh, why are they trying to get Hitler? Hopefully they're not trying to bring him back to the future so that they can adore him or anything like that. Also, Nazi symbology is almost non-existent in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, which, I... Th- it- European comic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be very careful. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, it's banned in many in many countries. At one point, it was banned in Germany. I'm not sure that that's still the case now. Um, but uh, yeah, so the I don't know enough about Strontium Dog specifically, except that very much like many 2000 AD uh, titles, like Judge Dread, it takes place in the future after a post apocalyptic war of some kind. Uh, the yes. discovery of the element Strontium. Has mutated strontium people. 90, yeah. Strontium, yep, strontium 90. 90. And it starts people to have mutations, giving some people powers, other people uh, strength. And we are introduced to Johnny Alpha in this series, who is um, a member of a police force, a task force, a search and destroy uh, organization. Yep. And he so we get to follow his adventure adventures. Yeah. Yep. What is it, Matthew? SD90? They call them... They call- yeah, they call them strontium dogs because search and destroy SD agents. They tend to get people who have powers. Johnny actually has the power to emit alpha waves, but I, I'm never really sure what that means. It's whatever um, they need it to be. Right. And then, like of Johnny's course, weapons, has, right? Yeah, he has a, a Viking who follows him around, which is kind of cool. Too. Yeah, which is also really weird. What's the Viking's name? Is uh, 
Wolf. Wolf, Wolf Sturm yeah. Hammer. Yeah. And he does have a big giant hammer. And also, uh, he has a medical creature called a Gronk. Not to be confused with uh, Gonk from Star Wars, but Gronk. But you might confuse Gronk with Star Wars because he kind of talks like, uh, uh, what's his name from the uh, Star Wars Episode 1? Misa going to save you and make you feel so better, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jar Jar Binks. He kind of talks like Jar Jar Binks. The Gronk is actually part of a race of Gronk, and they're all called Gronk because everyone in their race is the Gronk. So it's a it's a whole there's actually a, a, a moment later on where they're just like, hey, I have a letter here for the Gronk and they're on Gronk World. But I'm not sure if they're like a hive mind or what, but the Gronk always cracks me up because I think about the football player. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. OK, so uh, this story is credited as being written by um, John Wagner, but also Alan Grant. And I'm not sure that I was trying to read up on some places. I'm not sure that um, either Grant was doing this and not getting the credit. And so it's only during this, uh, this story that we start to see his name appear in the credits or if Grant was doing some writing, but Wagner was doing the bulk of it, but they were giving uh, Grant the credit or not. I'm not really sure on that. Matthew, you may know a little bit more about that. Wagner and Carlos Escara. Uh, created Strontium Dog for right. another magazine. Yeah. And I think that, yes, I believe Alan Grant joined as a, I always call him Stephen Grant because that's Moon Knight. But Alan Grant uh, joined him before he was officially, uh, I guess, there. And so at certain points you see where, like this first uh, chapter is actually credited to Grant, but it's actually right. Grant and Wagner. Right, right. So it's very... I don't know if that's a 2000 AD thing or what. I know 2000 AD is a nightmare to try and research on this side of, of the pond. Well, and, and unless you're rebellion who owns 2000 AD now, it's seems kind of a mess anyway in trying to figure out what goes where and whatnot. But there are some great collections that um, rebellion publishing 2000 AD have put out that includes this uh, story. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it can be kind of messy. Uh, now people may be saying who's Alan Grant, Alan Grant, uh, here in the United States, you would probably know him uh, for his Batman work in the 1980s. He introduced the ventriloquist. He worked for Norm. He worked not for. He worked with Norm Greyfogle as his artist on a lot of the stuff. Uh, he worked over at Epic Comics for a while. Uh, if you are a fan of Judge Anderson, uh, he worked on that here in the United States. And what else did he do? Lobo, uh, Omega Men. Uh, I'm trying to think. Legion. He did that Legion story. Uh, in the uh, in the 1990s, so that's mm-hmm. probably where you know Alan Grant's name from, if you had not heard of him before. But it seemed sounded familiar. Yeah, if you remember the Suicide Squad with the Rat Catcher, yeah, he didn't invent that woman, but he invented the Rat Catcher character who inspired her father, played by uh, Taika Waititi. Yeah, so. The Strontium Dogs, uh, in addition to going out and doing whatever bounty hunting that they do, apparently Rodrigo also have the ability to do time traveling, and that is the basis for this snatch and grab. Yeah, their agency can send them traveling through time. Uh, so, yeah, they're uh, 
before we get to to the to the actual thing, there's a whole um, sequence where um, they're like, "Yeah, the Schickel Gruber contract is up, and it's like a million space bucks yeah. or whatever they're called." And they're like, "Oh, I want that." And then all of the all the bounty hunters want it, and they're like, "Well, since everybody wants it, we'll do a drawing." And then like like five or six distinct groups of them end up cheating to get it, including uh, Johnny Alpha. Johnny Alpha. Yeah. yeah including our, our main character, which I think is a, uh, what I, I think is, was good. It's good that we saw that early on because that happens. And I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. This is like a 2000 AD protagonist It's like, of course he's like very loosey goosey with his morals. Um, yeah. And then I was kind of more on board than uh, because the previous one depicts him as like being like very cool and good at, you know, fighting monsters. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, OK, there's lots of guys who do that. But at least, you know, I'm like, oh, well, he's crooked. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. But sure I, enough, I'll admit that he... I was going to say, I, I will admit in that first story, the one that leads up to the main the main part, I was like, oh, so this is just. Judge Dredd, but we can see his face and he's got these alpha wave patterns to make people do stuff. That's what it felt very much like until we get into the bulk of the story, because this is my first experience with anything Johnny Alpha or Strontium Dog. Yeah, me too. Yeah, very much, very similar. I mean, they do have a lot in common, including a creative team, but Johnny also does have his gun that fires six shades of S-bomb, you know. There's There's a lot here that kind of parallels Judge Dredd Mm-hmm. But this is sort of an, almost an inverse Judge Dredd, where rather than a world where you have this stranglehold of the law, Johnny just sort of wanders around in this lawless rebellion. It's kind of like the relationship of like Star Trek to Serenity, if that makes any sense. Very similar stories, but where your where your protagonist stands, whether he's like the arbiter of law or whether he's just like some weirdo wandering around on the fringes. Yeah. So anyway, we find out what the Schlickle Gruber grab is. Schlickle Gruber grab. Rodrigo. Yes. We find out what it is. Turns out that, uh, popular dictator Adolf Hitler, uh, was in fact not named Hitler when he was born. His, name was Schickel, Schickel Gruber and he changed it at some point uh, probably his agent had him do it right. and then uh, so we we go through this whole thing um, I feel very you know I don't think this is bad but I feel very disrespectfully referring to Hitler by his uh, name. former name yeah, yeah. Uh, instead of uh, the name that he wants to be called and yeah. uh, that kind of kicks everything off. Yeah. So they have to. And so the the whole point is they're going to travel into the past. They're going to kidnap Hitler moments before he's supposed to kill himself anyway, to bring him right. back to the future because they are wanting to stand crimes, uh, stand for the crimes against humanity, where the future people's society think that people that take their life through suicide, uh, like Hitler did, is the cheat way out. And even though he's dead, uh, we want to we want to make sure that we kill him under our jurisdiction and under our our laws. And so that's where this million dollar contract gets in. in. And then mm-hmm. I, I, t- I tell you, uh, this book kind of dives into some conspiracy theory stuff that was definitely 
making the rounds in the 1970s and 80s, especially as we saw the children, uh, the kids from Brazil or whatever it was, uh, movie coming out. Yeah, where, oh, Hitler really didn't kill himself in the bunker. He had somebody uh, that was his lookalike kill himself, and he secretly slipped off to Brazil. Um, That plays out in this book, except that Johnny Alpha uh, shows up and with his Viking friends and try to abscond with him to the future so they can take him out and, and do the real justice. Right. Problem but is, is though, forbidden from killing innocents to get right. to Hitler. Right. And is forbidden to get Hitler until all of his crimes are already done. So it's not like this, you, know, you can't go back. Yeah, you can't kill go baby ca- kill baby Hitler. Hitler. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and that's where this, this story kind of puts Hitler in the backseat. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it, it kind of puts Schlickel Gruber in the backseat because it's not about giving justice to this uh, horrible, horrible person. It is, can this team get their package back to the future before these other bounty hunters show up and kill them? Right. And so it turns into this weird, in my opinion, again, this is me looking back on a story that took place before the movie came out. It feels so much like I'm watching a a bit of uh, the Terminator where you have these other creatures and other bounty hunters coming after Johnny Alpha and his team uh, and them trying to battle and get to the future. I don't know if you guys felt anything like that or not, but that's how I kind of uh, felt. I didn't Terminator, but I definitely thought that there was... I was trying to figure out whether 1980 was early enough for this to have been an early appearance of this, this kind of trope, because when the sticks start showing up Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if the sticks is a guy or a group of guys or what a faction, but the sticks, yeah, the sticks show up and they're like, sticks win, you die. And I'm like, I do love that entire Kilroy. It was here album. So sticks does rule, but I kind of also, understand yeah it's you know it like travel for this length while everybody's trying to kill you you know it's a little bit the warriors it's a mm-hmm. little bit terminator it's a little bit uh um smoking aces am i the only person who saw that movie? no i love smoking aces that's a great yeah, smoking aces is good yeah so yeah it's it's definitely a trope that i enjoy this idea of like yeah you have the package and sometimes the package is a nazi Mm-hmm. And you have, to, you have to get them from point A to point B while basically a bunch of jerks who are really the, the uh, at least on paper, the equal to the protagonist, mm-hmm. right? They're also trained killers from the future um, mm-hmm. are trying to stop them. And they have different tactics. Like one of them has two evil Pokemon that he throws at them. <laughs> um, and then... Another guy uh, beats up the the time, uh, yeah, the time that portal uh, tech. Okay, and he was... he shows up close to the very end so that you know everything will be done and he can just kill Johnny Alpha when uh, you know at his leisure. So that guy, okay, I don't know who would be the inspiration for that particular bounty hunter guy, and I know a lot of other people may be thinking, oh yeah, that guy is Lee Van Cleef. If you, if you read that and you think Lee Van Cleef, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. But I would argue that that guy is not Lee Lee Van Cleef, but rather he is Lee Marvin. 
And if you look at that, if you look at that character through the vein of Lee Marvin as a bad guy, and Lee Marvin has played bad guys plenty of times, that is totally Lee Marvin under all that makeup. <laughs> okay. All right. That's just me. That's just me. But, you know, time travel shenanigans, Matthew. It's not so easy just to bring Hitler back to your current present. Uh, no. Things go a little wacky in the wiki-woo. And you do have to sort of walk him through the reality, which is, you know, fine. Um, that's the point, really, where I feel like it almost feels like the strip is going, did we say seven episodes? <laughs> well, but this was a week. This was a weekly series, right? It was Is this part of those right. uh, of the publications that they would do? With two thousand, I think yes. it was two thousand eighty or Judge Dread magazine or whatever it was, where it came out weekly, and this would just be another yeah. weekly installment. Right, two thousand AD uh, did, and I'm going to say asterisk does come out weekly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this this is a uh, you know these were small chapters in like a larger collection. So, like if you went and bought a two thousand AD off the stands, you'd have like seven, eight different things in it. Yeah. Uh, then you could get one every Thursday or every Monday. I don't remember. For it, It's actually on the cover for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had to go digging through some 2000 OD, eight ODs. Yeah. <laughs> 2000 OD. That's how I think of it. Uh, recently, this last few months, actually, looking for some specific characters. And boy, I tell you, there's some great stuff in here, but there's a lot of it. They end up uh, way into the future. At some point, they don't know. But it is the day that a comet is or an asteroid is supposed to crash into Earth and wipe everyone out. And so that is also a very interesting look at society and how society deals with these things. And and poor old uh, Schlicker, Schlickelgruber can't deal with all of this nonsense. Um, you know, fights, big battles. Lee Marvin gets his. They take uh, they take Hitler back and he gets his. Although you never do see. Hitler get executed on panel, which I, I I was kind of expecting and kind of hoping for. Because, no, you know, it actually Hitler. just ends with him. Oh, yeah. We have our, he's almost, you know, I hate to say it. He's the MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah he really he, is. Like, Here, here's your Hitler. And they're like, okay, next they'll want a million dollars for Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And then, of course, the Vikings are like, on Wednesday, do you tell us, yeah? We get you, to Mickey Mouse. And then if you turn like two pages later, there's like an ad for some Mickey Mouse, like toothpaste or something. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what did you guys think of this? Because I, I, I was going in expecting some things to be really, really uncomfortable uh, due to just the subject matter of Hitler being in this and going, right. oh, what are they going to do? Because we know sometimes in the 1980s, there were certainly a bunch of... Uh, uh, um, what do we ca- I want to call them? Uh, racist Neo. uh, neo-Nazis. Yeah. Neo-Nazis yeah. are definitely on the rise. And I was afraid Illinois that Nazis. Ne- well, yeah, yes, but in Britain, those Illinois Nazis were a little bit more rambunctious they were, they were uh, hooligans. Yeah. Hooligans and whatnot. And I was afraid that that was going to be something that would spur on, uh, you know, agitate that group, but it doesn't appear to have done, done that. And that's certainly not, I don't think what the intent of grant and, and, uh, Wagner and the, and, and uh, yeah. the artist were, were intending, but I, I was surprised that they just totally deflated Hitler and just made him the butt of pretty much the entire story, the butt of the joke of the story. I actually, I really liked that. Um, 
And I, having read previous work by Wagner, uh, and Wagner, of course, you know, is one of the big names behind Judge Dredd for a very long time, and mm-hmm. especially Grant. Grant has, I don't want to say Grant has like the the uh, morality that you see from like Steve Ditko, where it's black is black and white is white, and the more they meet, the more they fight, have some beans at every meal. But Grant has some very specific takes on what is and is not acceptable. And knowing that Alan Grant was involved in this, I was at least sanguine that we weren't going to get heroic Hitler, you know, with the pretty hair or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's another comic book writer that's kind of gone, I, I don't yeah. know, revealed his true form recently. And mm-hmm. it, it's very much like, oh, if this person were doing this in one of his movies or in one of his comic books, he would definitely make yeah. Hitler a... Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, I don't want to say a good character, but not the 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 weakling that they do in, here. I think in media since probably uh, for sure since the seventies, right. Um, there has been an on, there had been like sort of an ongoing character assassination of, of Hitler and turning him into like a goofy guy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is fine with the slight asterisk that sometimes that can be counterproductive, but yeah. I, I don't necessarily feel that it was. It's it's only very recently that, you know, just being online or whatever, like you'll encounter somebody who's like, yeah, Hitler is like, ah, ha, ha, Hitler. And they're like, no, you know, he had some good ideas. And I'm like, oh, my God, what dimension do I live in? Oh, man, I got to um, tell you something when we're done recording. So, oh, abs- yeah. So. So, yeah, for the longest time, like probably the the first time I was ever exposed to Hitler or Nazis was something like in a Mel Brooks movie or in the blues brothers or something like that, where they are strictly comedic idiots. Yes. Right. Yes. Unlike in real life where they are dangerous comedic idiots. And one thing that, you know, you do have to look at with 2000 AD circa 1980, even if that sentence doesn't make sense chronologically (laughs) or uh, in, in terms of the the language uh, you're looking at, at, Thatcherism. You're looking at yeah. Margaret Thatcher's Great Britain. And, sure. you know, a lot of the guys who would basically be revolutionizing the American comics industry in four or five years are, you know, on, working on 2000 AD as these young, you know, bomb throwing in a very yeah. metaphorical sense, yeah. you know, ideologues. And you do have that anti fascism. You do have that anti, you know, even if you look at Judge Dredd, where the whole point is, here's a fascist future Britain, the yeah. point is that this is bad and wrong. Right. And that our main character is the only person who can even make this palatable because of his, you know, weird, unique thing. But as you look at it, you know, even here in Strontium Dog, you see these bits of almost fascist portions or almost oh, yeah. Yeah. what they call the neoliberalism, whatever it is. You see these things popping up, and I feel like 2000 AD was a place that you would go to have that that little balloon popped. So I did yeah. appreciate that. I did have one thing about this book that only occurred to me after Stephen and I were talking in a previous recording tonight. Can anyone tell me, was there a female character I think the the one woman that they I thought that was a woman that came after them with the two Pokemons. 
Uh, yeah, one of so mm-hmm. there's there's two teams that come after them. One of them is a spiky lady, and the guy who oh. controls the Pokemon, who has like they call him like Slabhead or whatever the the guy. Yeah. The other yeah. the lady I think has a lady's name like Norma, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than her and like some speaking lines that the uh, comet hippies have. Mm-hmm. No, most of the most of the characters are either irrecognizable because they're mutants or dudes. Right. So that that was kind of a thing in that, you know, it did not pass the Bechdel test. But that's also in some ways kind of part and parcel of the 2000 yeah. AD vibe too. Yeah. Or just the time you period know, in general. Well, it's especially with 2000 AD, though, I feel like if you go through the history of 2000 AD, I think there's Halo Jones, who is a female character. Mm-hmm. Question Judge, mark. Judge Anderson. Yeah, Judge Anderson. I guess there was a female member of the ABC Warriors who wasn't actually a robot. Um, she was a, a girl, human woman, but she was in love with a robot. But nonetheless, yeah, um, that I mean, that is not necessarily what I would call a major flaw, but it is a concern. And yeah. it, I guess it does when we get to the end of this have kind of that element of the shaggy dog story. Yeah. And that's uh, that's because, the thing that I th- that I think the big question that I have after reading this was I enjoyed this story. I like the adventure of these people that are trapped and time, th- you know, thrown across time. And they've got, you know, Terminators after them and they've got Lee Marvin after them and they've got to get the package back uh, to home base on time. I dug that. But at the end of it, I was like, did this really need to be Hitler? (laughs) And because it's he, he just is the MacGuffin of the story, I think they could have I think they could have moved a little bit in time and history and maybe pick somebody that was maybe not as controversial, but still as bad or just an imaginary person from a different time period. I'm not sure that it that's, had to be Hitler. That's that's the thing is like that was actually pretty safe. I, I guess I, I yeah. think right. If you look at media, no, no at the you're time, right. No, like, if, you, if you look at the time, no, Hitler bad. Everybody knows Nazis bad. E- even in 1986, uh, 88, 89, 92, people yeah. knew Nazis were bad. Then comes along American History X, and people are like, eh, uh, Nazis bad, question mark? And then we start right. into the downside of that. So you're right. Uh, probably Hitler, very safe bet. But um, like today, there's an aspect of controversy about it because on the one side, obviously, you have neo-Nazis who are like, well, you're not, you know, you're not giving him a fair shake. And on the other hand, you have people that legitimately may ask, why would you put Hitler in your comic? Why yeah. give any time and thought to this? Right. Which right. is a fair question, but you know, there's I think there's good answers to that. Um so but yeah, back in back in the eighties, it was a very safe thing to be like, I'm going to cast Hitler as the fool, and you know, everybody just was cool with it. Yeah. And that's I think that's almost kind of the hook of this story is I mean it certainly is the hook. I mean if yeah. You know Without who Flickle Gruber is. Yeah. Right. Without it being Hitler, I feel like this story would be pretty unremarkable. With it being Hitler, it's kind of like that time Captain America fought Nixon. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, I remember this because of that aspect of it that seemed weirdly controversial or whatever. But if you kind of break it down, as I said, when you get to the end, it is sort of a 
they say, okay, we find out they're going to go back in time. They go back in time. Something happens. They get back and they successfully, you know, deliver their quarry. The end. And that's fine. I mean, not every story needs to be some weird, complex Cormac McCarthy narrative. But it also does feel like if it weren't Hitler, would it warrant eight issues or, you know, at lead slots, mind this, you, of 2080? Yeah, this story greatly benefits from its serialization in that oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. sit down and read it all in one go, like, actually very little happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like like you said, it's like a very straightforward, the guys go and they get the guy and then they deliver, they have some fights and then they deliver the guy. There's no questions asked, no twists or turns. It's very straightforward. There's probably more twists and turns in that very first issue um, that mm-hmm. leads to this, which is, it leads into it, but it's not actually part of the caper. It's like a separate <laughs> adventure, right? right. So... Uh, again, I feel like if you were picking this up once a week, um, oh, yeah, you, you might be like, oh, okay, well, now I get the next part of the story, the next part of the story, the next part of the story. When you look at them all together, it's like, did this story, even, yeah, it's like, did this story even need to happen? And, uh, you know, the answer is yes, because, you know, some creators got paid and groceries were bought, probably, so that's good. Um, but was there anything really all that interesting about it? To me, no, but um, but it is an interesting little time capsule to look at now. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if this is the first. Do we know is this the first arc that appeared in two thousand eight? No, 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 no. From my understanding, this is not okay. Because I know Star Lord got can well, it didn't get canceled. Books in in Britain don't get canceled; they get folded into other books. Yeah, which is the weirdest thing ever. But so Star Lord, which is where Johnny Alpha began, was canceled. Uh, but as it basically, you're like, hey, if you love Star Lord, all your Star Lord favorites are now in 2000 AD. So it basically got folded over. But I wasn't sure if or how much. Uh, what year did strong? What year did this story come out? This story is from 1980. The first Strontium Dog. Ah, uh, so yeah, so yeah, so the series created in 78. It doesn't say. Um, it says that it moved over to 2000 AD, but then the very next sentence it says in 1980 Wagner was joined by Alan Grant. So. Uh, I don't know if this would have been the first thing in 2000 AD or not. I'm going to, I'm going to say probably no, but maybe yes. Maybe our friends who are listening over at uh, 2000 AD right now, who we know they are listening. Hello guys. Hi. Um, Maybe you can fill us in a little bit on that. We should be like, hello mate. Um, So no, then they'll stop listening. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up. Um, They can fill us in a little bit and we can give you guys some updates on that. Uh, For me, I enjoyed this story for what it was, you know, snatch and grab, uh, let's get Hitler and, uh, you know, give him his comeuppance and, and fight bad guys. I enjoyed it from that. Uh, now again, everybody else may, may be going, I don't know where Steven got Terminator and Lee Marvin in it, but if that helped him enjoy the story more than great, uh, I think that will help you enjoy the story a little bit more. Uh, I think that if this is your first exposure to Strontium dog, 
this feels like a pretty good story. I don't know what other major big strontium dog stories are out there that people would recommend, but I know Lagna said, Hey, you guys should review this. Uh, and so I'm okay with this. Um, I'm okay for what it is. And it is, it was enjoyable to, it was enjoyable for what it was, uh, is what I will say. I don't think that this is a rush right out and try to find a copy of strontium dog volume one and, and get into it. But I think if you were to, uh, find this in an old comic shop or find it, uh, online somewhere, I think it would probably be worth your read. Matthew, what did you think? I would agree. And in some ways, I feel like Strontium Dog is actually more to my taste and sensibility than even Judge Dredd. Because, I mean, there is an edge of of Judge Dredd that is kind of hard to swallow when you're a Yankee doodle-dandy-doodly-doo. That, you know, I feel like comes across different in 21st century United States than it did in, you know, Thatcherite Britain. But Strontium Dog is something that is clearly meant to be like this weird science fiction craziness. And it has a lot of those similar elements. and It definitely has a similar tone. But I feel like the main character is one that I don't necessarily like more because I hate him as much as I hate Dread. They're not meant to be, you know, likable, friendly, awesome Buddy characters, but I feel like this is more to my liking. And this feels like a more coherent chunk of storytelling than some of the dread we've looked at, not mentioning any names called the cursed earth. Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Yeah, definitely. Strontium dog has a couple things going on that a lot of other ultra badass stoic main character stuff of the time doesn't have and that's it has a funny viking um and a slightly less funny like piece of celery that talks yeah (laughs) um so it's got that going for it um i would say if you've found a bunch of somewhere a bunch of heavy metal magazines um somehow and you're leafing through them and trying to decide what to read you could do a lot worse than strontium dog and it, it was a lead feature so it's like right up there on front so mm-hmm. you might as well check it out. Should you go out of your way to track down some Strontium Dog out, out of this arc? There's not a lot here that I'm super interested in. Um, the art is good, but that's the thing about heavy metal is like there is actually so much great art in this comic that it doesn't necessarily stand out for, from other heavy metal uh, offerings. So mm. I would say if you're already there, check it out. If not, I give it a pass. All right. Uh, Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, dear listener. That's where we're going to end it this week. Again, if you found some value in this show, come join our Patreon, where you're going to find even more fun, more bonus bonus content, at least four bonus episodes per month at the $5 level, which includes that Major Spoilers podcast pre-show. Find out more and sign up today. Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers. Next week on the show, a little bit of tease. What are we getting into? Oh, Rand is back next week. And we're going to be talking about Shirtless Bear Fighter Volume 1 because Cosmo Memory demanded it and because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon.
Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2024 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.